0: his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice and earth is, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. At the very end of it, you'll see this in verse 22, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. And and what we're really going to be looking at this evening is the steadfast love of the Lord. Now let me ask you a question. How do you measure steadfast love? When you think about When you consider God's steadfast love for you, prayerfully you think of things such as the cross of Christ. I mean, if you want to really think about the greatest display of love that God has given us, it's going to be the cross. But when you think about steadfast love, your your mind almost immediately has to go to some action, doesn't it? I mean, love can be an abstract thing until we really think about how it's displayed itself in someone's life. For instance, this morning um, I woke up After being at the Mississippi Baptist Convention yesterday, so uh, Pastor Wade and myself left at about 5 a.m. yesterday morning. We made it back at 11. I was tired, worn out. I woke up this morning and my wife displayed steadfast love by bringing me breakfast in bed. Like, isn't she good? I told her I was going to tell a story. She's been fretting about it all day. She didn't know I was going to brag on her. Um, and so when you think of steadfast love, there's almost always an action connected to it. And so this evening, what I'd like to do is think and meditate on the steadfast love of God by, by what, what David's thinking of as he writes. He's considering a couple of things. So um, let's start with uh, verses 6 through 9 the steadfast love of the Lord fills the earth for he created it. That's the very first thing we see. God, we we can think and meditate on the steadfast love of the Lord because he has created the earth. That's why it fills it. So in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, it says this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts... He gathers the water of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in their storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So the very first thing that we can look at to see the steadfast love of the Lord is creation itself. Now, I understand that we live in a fallen world. And so when we look around at creation, it can be somewhat easy to see all of the things that are, that are problematic in the world. For instance, I mean, I, you think about earthquakes and natural disasters, and Pastor Wade even mentioned some of this uh, Sunday morning. But there are things that we, that we see that just don't seem right, do they? But I want to point out to you that in the creation account we see in Genesis chapter 1-2, and two, what's the refrain? It is good, isn't it? It is good. It is good. And friends, if you can't find the good and you can't see the steadfast love of the Lord in the creation, uh, then maybe we're not looking uh, close enough. Have you ever stopped to think that God did absolutely no necessity at all to make food taste good to you? It only had to fuel your body. There was, no, there was nothing necessary for honey to be sweet to you or steak to taste good. Uh, my, we, we recently bought a house and our uh, sink is looking out into our backyard and we had a very, very pretty uh, rose garden with butterflies that would float around until my black lab destroyed it all. Um, but I would sit there and I would wash dishes and I'd look out and i like, Man, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see how God has created so many colors for us to enjoy. Why in the world would he create something for us that we can look at and enjoy with our senses? Was that necessary for us to survive? No, it is an expression of his goodness. And in Genesis chapter two, verse nine, It kind of parallels with Genesis chapter three when you see Adam when you see Eve take the fruit and eat. What does she say? She says, "It was delight to the eye, and it was good for food, and it was able to make one wise." She she thought. But let me point out to you in Genesis two nine, it says that the Lord God caused to spring up every tree that was a delight to the eye and good for food. God did not neglect Eve. God did not neglect Adam. He said, if you want to see beauty, I, I've, I've given this to you. Out of love, I have poured out all of these beautiful things on the earth so that you can look at them, that you can see their beauty, you can enjoy them. And so I would, I would appeal to you that one of the reasons we know that the steadfast love of the Lord fills the earth is because he has created for us a good earth to enjoy. Even though there are things that we see that are, that are, that are taking place in our society today, in our world today, guys, that's the effects of sin. And creation itself is groaning longing for the day that it itself will be redeemed. And so my friends, I would, I would ask you that the next time you walk out into creation and you see something beautiful, celebrate that the great God who loves you created that for you to enjoy. He's good, isn't he? Isn't that the sweetest thing that he cares so deeply for us that he desires us to see things that are beautiful and astounding that we might worship him for it? It's an expression of his love. And so when we think about creation, one reason that we know the steadfast love of the Lord is is poured out, it fills this earth is because he has created a good place for us to dwell. Secondly, he is currently sustaining it for us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, uh, the, very, the introduction to Hebrews is beautiful. It's all about Christ and who he is. Um, and, and verse 3 says this, He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Currently, currently, the universe is being held together by the power and authority of Christ, just as it always has been. And one of the reasons we know the steadfast love of the Lord endures is because we are still here. By his grace, we still have the privilege to dwell here and enjoy the good earth that God created for us. He is currently sustaining all things. And that is not just talking about the creation that, we are, that we're living on, it's talking about you as well. We are part of creation. And by God's steadfast love, he is sustaining us. By God's steadfast love, he gives us breath. By God's steadfast love, he allows us to have families and to enjoy them. The steadfast love of the, of, of the Lord fills the earth. He, is, he has created it and it is good. He is sustaining it. And lastly, He reveals Himself through it. There is no greater love that God has shown to His people than that He has revealed Himself to us. Well, what joy do we have that when we come here on a on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning or whenever you sit down and study God's word that he's revealed himself to you. And he's revealed himself through his word, but not only that, he's revealed himself through creation. I'd point your attention to Psalm 19, verses one and two says this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. When my wife and I were dating, we were uh, at Delta State University and uh, being in the Delta, you can... uh, I'm sure many farmers did not appreciate this, but I would take my Jeep and we would go onto the turn rows and we'd sit there and we'd look at the stars. I mean, in the Delta, you can see for miles. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. And looking above and seeing the, the, the God who created giving us stars that we could view and enjoy, that those things were proclaiming his, his power, his authority, his, his goodness. And I mean, when you think about the fact that God has poured out his love on us in a way that he is revealing himself to the creation itself, How good is that? In Romans chapter um, Romans chapter one verse twenty says this: For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. Creation itself is revealing our God. And I wonder how often, just as a brief application here, I wonder how often we go outside and we take a walk and we think, "How good." And how much love has God bestowed on us that He has given us a good place to dwell? And I don't wanna, you know, I'll be honest, I try to avoid statements like this from time to time because I don't wanna seem too, um, for lack of a better term, hippie. I mean, is that fair? But man, How good is it to go outside and to see the good things that God has created and to celebrate and to worship him from it, to say how much does my God love me, that he's created for me an environment to look and to to see all the beautiful things he's created that I might have a reason to worship him. And so as we think about the steadfast love of the Lord filling the earth, when we go outside, we see it every day. And not only that, when we draw breath, we see the steadfast love of the Lord, for it's by his love that he has mercy on us. That He grants us life, even though we sin and rebel against Him. He is currently what holding together the world, the universe, by the word of His power. That's the steadfast love of the Lord emptied out for you, for us to enjoy. And, and, and I mean, I, I wonder. And you think? I wonder how many people um, would, would would look at the Christian who is celebrating the good things that God has created for them, and, and, and like when you go for a walk. And you stop and you're just joyful at what God's created for you. I mean, like, can we just do those things from time to time and celebrate the steadfast love of the Lord? I think it's so easy for us to just blind our eyes to this because we see it all the time, right? Being familiar with something breeds apathy to it. I mean, it just does so my prayer is for us as we consider this, the, the way that God has created this world for us to enjoy, that we would worship and praise him for the steadfast love he's poured out for us. And, and so um, we see in the text in verse six, seven, and eight, let me just reiterate this real quickly because there's a, a couple of characteristics I'd like to point out to you that we see very clearly from God's creation of the world. Verse six says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Have you ever seen such power? I mean, just, just to maybe illustrate the point that God reveals himself through creation, have you ever seen such power? When I look at this, my, for some reason my thought is star breather. I mean that, that God by his word and nothing more created all that we see, that God through Christ's authority and power is currently upholding the world. Man, what beauty is the power of God that we see? And there is a response that David even mentions here. He says in verse eight, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. When was the last time you stood in awe? When was the last time you stood in awe? there's a sweetness to that, isn't it? I mean, when you stand in awe of something, you're looking at it and you understand it's, it's, it's magnificent, but also often I think we, we stand in all things that are dangerously beautiful. An illustration is, um, I, I, for a period of time after I um, graduated, I didn't graduate college, when I transferred out of my former college, I kayaked frequently and I would uh, love whitewater rafting and it was something so beautiful and I can remember standing and looking at waterfalls and thinking how majestic is that, but also knowing in the exact same time that if I did something wrong while I was kayaking, it would kill me. God, this is how we should stand in awe of God. And you are majestic, you are beautiful, but you are holy and set apart. And there's much that God has revealed to us through creation. And friends, my prayer is that we would celebrate that, that we would look at that and stand in awe of the God who has, who has done these things. So we know the steadfast love of the Lord fills the earth for he created it. Secondly, uh, we see in verses 10 through 12, the steadfast love of the Lord fills the earth for he directs its outcome. Look at verses 10 through 12 from, with me. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing; He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever; the plans of His heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord; the people whom He has chosen as His heritage. So let me point out a couple of things from this text. I, this is a, this is a fun text to me. Let me tell you why. When I, when I read this, I immediately thought of the Exodus account. Let me point out why. First of all, you see God doing three things here. You see him frustrating the wicked. You see him accomplishing his purpose. And you see him blessing those who are his. Now, let me. I know all of you are familiar with the Exodus account, but let's just think about this in light of what David's considering. David's thinking about how God is able to frustrate his enemies all the while fulfilling his purpose. And normally his purpose is to bless those who are his. So in the Exodus account, when we see Pharaoh, for instance, Pharaoh, the, the people of Israel are enslaved, they're, they're, they're oppressed and God by his grace desired to relieve them from that. He sends Moses and all, can you imagine the conversations between Moses and Pharaoh? Think about it, this guy who is a shepherd, probably filthy. I mean, he approaches, he approaches Pharaoh and says, I'm gonna need you to let, let all these guys go. Understand the man that he's talking to. Pharaoh believed he was a god. In the mornings, he would go into the Nile and he'd raise his arms as the sun would raise and he believed that he was the one doing that. That's the type of arrogance we're talking about here. Not only that, Pharaoh wouldn't speak to people. He would always speak through an interpreter. And you can imagine even as Moses wouldn't speak to Pharaoh directly, instead he'd whisper in Aaron's ear and Aaron would speak. Can you imagine the frustration? Like who does this guy think he is that he's speaking through an interpreter? You can imagine God frustrating Pharaoh, I mean, just, just I mean, gnashing his teeth in anger. Who in the world do you think you are coming and asking me to let people go? And God is doing exactly what he originally intended to do to, to, to relieve the condition of the Egyptians. And he's doing it while frustrating an enemy. It's a bad thing to be against the plan and purposes of God. Because rest assured, God is going to fulfill his purpose. There is not one time in human history, nor will there ever be, where God's purpose will be thwarted. He is sovereign. He is in control. And there will never be anyone to come against him that will survive. It will not happen. They will either passionately fall in love with the God that they have waged war against. Men like C.S. Lewis or Lee Strobel. Or they will be crushed under the weight of his wrath and fury. And so we see here that God frustrates the, the, the plans of those who stand against him. But we also see that he will always accomplish his purpose. And friends, when you think about the deliverance of the people of Egypt, not only did he deliver them out, he made sure that they left with everything necessary that they could build the tabernacle. He made sure that they plundered them completely and totally. They had all the gold they needed to lay the floors. They had all the gold they needed to make sure that every piece of furniture inside the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, all these other pieces would be covered with gold. Gold that was plundered from the Egyptians. God will fulfill his purposes. Not only that, he made sure that, that, that he would be able to bless his people in this, in this time. God directs all of human history, he directs this path. And as we meditate on the steadfast love of the Lord, can you just for a moment realize if you're in Christ, you are those who belong to the Lord. So what is God doing with you? Well, here it says that he's frustrating the plans of the people, those who would go against him. So those who are against you, he's ultimately gonna frustrate their plans. The counsel of the Lord stand forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. So what do we know from this text? You are indeed the heritage, the inheritance of the Lord. Isn't that sweet? There are a few things I celebrate more than the fact that I have a jealous God and I am his. I am his. And he will have me at all costs. And so when I look at this text and I see how God delivered the Israelites out, he was creating for himself and possessing back his people, allowing them to come out and to celebrate what God has done, to celebrate the steadfast love of the Lord, that although they be in slavery for years and years, their God had not forgotten them and he delivered them. How do you think the Israelites felt as they came out, as they finished passing through the Red Sea? I know we have some accounts of some of them being silly. Um, saying there weren't enough graves in Egypt. Imagine Moses' heart. We even see him sing after he crosses. Man, what sweet steadfast love of the Lord that he was delivering us, that all this while he was working together for our good. It's easy to see the steadfast love of the Lord when we consider the big picture, isn't it? Let's contrast that maybe with the future deliverance that we would have. I think of the Pharisees who had worked their entire lives to gain some following and Jesus shows up and begins to teach in a way that is incredibly authoritative and they grow incredibly envious of him. Or even the Roman Empire starting to be fearful that someone would come and and thwart them. And God frustrated them in ways that they didn't even know. But all the while he was completing the process that he started in Genesis chapter 3. Even past that, before the foundation of the world. And in that process, he delivered us. You see, I rejoice in the fact that my God is sovereign and he is in control. For if he was not, then how could he bring all these things to be? How could he thwart the plans of every enemy? How could he direct all of human history to a point where we have Christ and him crucified and we're able to stand here today and rejoice in him? And not only rejoice in him, but look and say, praise God for his steadfast love fills the earth. And so we rejoice and we know that God... Is sovereign and in control, and we know that his steadfast love fills the earth, for he is directing its outcome. Look with me at verses 13 through 17. The Lord looks down from heaven, he sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out. On all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the hearts of them all and, and observes all their deeds. We know that the steadfast love of the Lord fills the earth for he knows his creation. Have you ever stopped to consider the fact that the God of the universe, the one who is uh, omniscient, knows absolutely everything, knows you intimately? There's something to consider in the midst of God's great power. I, I consider perhaps his omnipresence that it, it, currently he is literally everywhere in every moment. I mean, he is, absolutely there's not a, a space that exists that he is not in. But at the exact same time, he is with you personally. That baffles me. I I think of times when uh, my mother was with me and she was doing 15 different things. And although she was multitasking and trying to take care of everything, she really wasn't personally with me. She was just kind of present. And friends, that's not the kind of relationship you have with your God. No, he is with you intimately in every moment. He knows you. And although he knows everything else, he knows you intimately, deeply, and cares for you in a way that We can't even begin to understand and fathom. And there's a sweetness in the bigness of our God, but also in the intimacy that he provides for us. And so when you look at this text, listen to this. He looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. It matters not if he is on his throne and rest assured he is. He is watching you carefully, loving you dearly. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the heart of them all. Immediately, I think of uh, Psalm 139. You think of him knitting us together in our mother's womb, that he cares for us physically, that he himself is the one who did that. And I think in the midst of all of our scientific advancement, when we see a child growing in the womb, we for some reason have taken that away from him because now we can see it. That's not the case. It is God who knits souls together. It is God who creates. And so as we look at this and we see him fashioning the hearts of all men, he does that. That's his job. And apart from him, there would be no new life, would there? Have you ever thought that as a child enters the room, this is a young soul that will never, never pass away? You think that God actually creates an eternal thing that will continue long after they perish here on the earth, they will dwell somewhere forever. They will dwell either in hell because they have rejected Christ or they have the grand privilege of enjoying him forever. He is knitting together hearts. He creates something that lasts eternally. It doesn't matter if we can see it or not. It is his operation. But praise God that we do have the ability to see those things, don't we? But don't don't let advancement steal our ability to rejoice in watching God's work. And so we see him fashion the hearts of them all. Now I want to point a secondary thing out here. He is not just the physical fas- uh, fashioning of the heart, but also the spiritual fashioning of the heart. Isn't it interesting that we all have these different stories that that um, that that Many of us came from Christian homes. We grew up knowing Christ and being taught the scriptures all our days, but then others uh, have never heard the name of Jesus ever. And for some reason, someone interacted with them and they heard the gospel and they placed their faith in Christ. And you hear all these different stories and all that is, is God fashioning hearts. And he's doing it in a way to make sure that we have the abilities to reach the nations. Have you ever stopped to think that there are men in here who have the ability to share the gospel with people that I simply can't? Because their story is different than mine. God has fashioned their heart way differently than mine. And I'm so thankful that God actually is working in our lives. And this is not something that he did once. It's something that he's currently doing. So let me explain this real quickly. If you be in Christ, then God is currently fashioning your heart to be more like Jesus's. He has not removed his hand from the wheel. I think about this, uh, the, the picture of a potter in clay. There is not a moment that God's molding hand is removed from your life until you stand before him perfect. And what steadfast love is this, that, that, that God, although I am even sinning now, although I be in Christ, is, refuses to remove his hands from the will that he's molding me, that he's gonna make me into exactly what he desires for me to be. How sweet of a thing is it that by God's grace, he's gonna conform me into the image of Jesus. He is currently molding our hearts into a likeness of Christ. What joy, what steadfast love. And so as I consider these things, I mean, you see, he fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. There is not a more horrifying statement in this entire psalm that he observes all your deeds. Is there? You know those sins that, you you know what I'm talking about, so don't pretend like you don't. You know those sins that you hide. They're in the dark, you feel safe. Not a one is in the dark. We serve a God who is far too big to be blind to things. And I can think of sins that I have committed in the past that are in the dark. I thought they were safe and all the while I hide them from God. You can even probably recall a time that you were ashamed to repent because you didn't want to let God know that you sinned. I've been there. Somebody laughing, that is funny. It's crazy is what it is. But man, he knows all my deeds. He's seen everyone and yet here his hands are on my heart. That's steadfast love. And I love this next statement. I think it's, it's, it's the natural response to he observes all, our, all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. Immediately, David's thinking on, we have a problem. How am I going to get away from this God who, who, who loves me? But at the exact same time I've sinned, I've rebelled against him. And he's considering how then can they be saved? So if the king is not saved by his great army, it doesn't matter what you put forth to defend yourself because indeed you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he says a warrior is not delivered by his great strength. Let's just pause for a minute. How often do we try to deliver ourselves from our sin by our good deeds? I really think that's exactly what we're talking about here. The, the man of God, the soldier comes forward. He's like, by my strength, I'll deliver myself. And God's like, no, you can't pay the price. You're not strong enough to bear this weight. You can just think through all these excuses that are brought. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might, it cannot rest you. There's nothing that you can use to flee from this thing that the God is going to observe all their deeds. And I even want to point out um, this sweet text. Hebrews 4.13, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. There's no fleeing. There's no running. We will give an account. But there's another verse. But the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their souls from death and keep them alive in famine. And I want to point out something here real quickly that I think we forget. Does verse 18 sound somewhat similar to verse 13? It's really similar phrasing. It's verse 13, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. Then you see, or in verse 14 even, he sits in throne. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 18, there's, there's a difference, but it's, but it's very similar. It's, if we weren't looking closely, we might consider that he'd just be saying the same thing. But behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. <clears throat> Let me make a quick statement, disclaimer. There is not a soul in all the earth that God does not love passionately. He loves his creation. But there is a unique love and affection that he has for his bride. Let me illustrate it this way: I have, uh, I grew up in a household of of women. I was outnumbered, something fierce. And I love my mother. I love my sisters. I do not love them like I love my bride. In the exact same way, there is a great love that the groom has set on you. You're his bride. He came to rescue and redeem you. He purchased you with his blood. And so when I see this verse, and it sounds so similar, but it's not at all the exact same way. There is a unique affection and intimacy that you have with the Father because of Christ's work on the cross. And we are sad, sad people if we do not stop to consider this. What great love, what steadfast love the Father has on us that that he would look on us and he would love us as as, as a groom would love his bride. That even though we, he sees every single one of our deeds, we stand here and, and by his steadfast love we're saved, we're freed. Listen to verse 19. That he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. By his steadfast love, friends, we've been delivered from death. And no famine will ever, ever take our soul. I think of Romans chapter 8, this long list of things that might separate you from the love of God. And friends, if you be in Christ, there is not one thing that will ever divide you from your groom. Never will there be one. And remember, we have a jealous God who steadfastly loves his people. And and I pity anyone who would attempt to come between us and him. You see, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. The steadfast love of the Lord, it fills the earth. Now listen listen to verse 20, 21 and 22 because we have to think and consider what our response is to this. Our soul waits for the Lord He is our help and our shield for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. And whenever we come to the scriptures, one of the things that we're always encouraged to do is give an application for you to do with your hands. Something that you can go out and do right now. The problem is when I come to this text, it's very difficult for me to give you something to do with your hands Everything that we're considering, every application that can be made when we consider the steadfast love of the Lord comes from the heart. So in light of the steadfast love that God has on you, in light of the steadfast love that he's poured out on you, how will you love him? There's nothing more humbling to me than seeing deep love. And immediately my heart and my soul is roused to, to spread that great love and to give it back, isn't it? And friends, my prayer is for you, is for me. When we consider the steadfast love of the Lord, will we, be obe- will we be obedient to the one who loves us so greatly, the one who saw every single one of our deeds, and yet he's provided a means of salvation, the one who has set his eye on us in a way that it will never be removed, that he will always have an eye on us that to make sure that he delivers us from death, whether that be here or in, to come. But friends, rest assured, if you be in Christ, you will know nothing of death. You might taste the shadow of it here, where your body might be separated from your soul, but rest Comfortably, your soul will never be separated from him. And so, my sweet friends, how do we respond? What are we to do? My encouragement is this. Dwell on the great love that God has had for you, that God has for you actively each and every day, and respond in kind. Be obedient to his calls. Share that great love with others, because friends, Love is something that every soul needs, desires. I'm convinced because I see it time and time again that wins souls.